Mark chapter 7 is where we'll be. We'll look at verses 1 to, through 23 this morning. How are you acceptable before God? That's the question I want to ask you this morning. How are you acceptable before God? The reason why that's such an important question is because that, that question, the way you answer that question, shows really about a lot about how you see God and how you see yourself and how you see others. What often people do when I ask that question is like, well, I'm acceptable before God because I perform well. I, I, I act the right way that I'm supposed to act. I don't say the bad words. I go to church and I, watch, I don't watch the rated R movies. I watch the right movies. And so God is accept, I'm acceptable before God because I've done all of these things. This view, of course, is the legalistic view of God. The legalism is basically a rigid conformity to an outward standard in order to appear good or right before God and before other people. Here's some examples of legalism. Legalism is when we say, well, I'm, I'm a mature Christian because I go to all the church activities. I volunteer, I go to small group, I, you know, maybe you came from a more traditional church. I went to Sunday school, I went to Sunday morning, I went to Wednesday night, I went to the Thursday night evangelism prayer thing. I went to Sunday, you know, I did all of these things and that's what makes me uh, acceptable before God. When really the Bible doesn't tell us that we need to do all those things. We just say we have to do all those things to be, feel acceptable before God. Now, certainly we become a part of a community. We become a part of the local church. The Bible says we shouldn't forsake the assembly of believers. So absolutely, there's mandate for Scripture to be a part of the, of the local church. But how often is really what, is what we make up. Another one would be what we dress. How do we dress? How do we dress when we come to church? Do we, do we have to wear a certain thing? Some people would say, well, you have to wear this to be acceptable before God. You're in God's house, so you've got to look pretty for God, right? The other one would be, what kind of music do we listen to? We'll say, well, we have to listen. This is the only type of acceptable music to, in, in order to sing in church or whatever. And that, they would say, that's legalism to say there's only one type. Or how about alcohol? Someone would say, well, alcohol is a sin. Don't ever drink it. Someone would say that. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. So what people say, when people say, well, it's, it's a sin to drink alcohol. That's, that's not true. The Bible doesn't say that. It would also be, so that would be legalism to say it's sin to drink alcohol. Now, certainly it's, it's sin to drink if you're underage. It's, obviously, every person needs to use wisdom in how to do that. But it would, be, it would be legalism to say that it's a sin across the board to drink alcohol. Just like it would be legalism to say if, I, if you do drink alcohol that people are immature if they don't. So it could go both ways. You could be legalistic either way. It's any time that we say a man-made rule is what makes you acceptable before God, that is when legalism happens. And so all of us have tendencies to be legalistic. We can even be legalistic in the way that we study the Bible. I had a friend of mine who was really set on every single morning, I'm going to read the Bible. He said, well, Jesus did this. This is, this is why we should do it. Jesus, now, no, just because Jesus did it doesn't mean that it's, it's telling us that's what we should do. No, it's just telling you what Jesus did. It doesn't mean that we have to do every single morning. We have to read now. We can read at night. You can read it on your lunch plate. But my, my friend was so set on, okay, Jesus did it in the Bible. That's why we should do it. So he would tell everybody, you should do it. In the, and if you don't read it in the morning, then you're wrong. Then you're in sin. Well, that's legalistic because he's saying this is a rule that I'm putting in place. So all of us, if we're honest, has legalism. Some of you or some of us are more aggressive than others. Some of us are, are more subtle. But we all have tendencies to set our own rules and try to put those standards on everyone else in order to prove godliness. But what happens is when we do that, we get into a trap. We then become judgmental. 
We become to judge other people based on those standards. We become self-righteous. We say, well, I, I do this. I, I, that makes me acceptable before God. Or we truly, we, we try to hide our true selves. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to show you the damage or the toll that legalism can do in our hearts, in our lives. And I want you to see, as Pastor Burke Parsons says, legalism is not an error of Christianity. It's a different religion altogether. You may not know this, but legalism was perhaps the greatest opposition to Jesus' ministry here on earth. When Jesus taught freedom, you'd have the religious crowd, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they would rise up and they would begin to speak against the freedom that Jesus was trying to promote. We even saw it in the Gospel of Mark. If you look at Mark chapter 2 in the very beginning, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And the religious crowd began to warn others of following Jesus and begin to question Jesus, so much so that later in chapter 2, we see the Pharisees are asking the disciples, why aren't they fasting in the same way that everyone else is fasting? And then later, and then in chapter 3, we see the Pharisees were angry at Jesus for healing a man, not because he healed a man, but because he healed a man on a Sabbath. And so again, they're going back to the legalistic thing of saying, hey, this is the most important thing, that you obey this rule, rather than celebrating that a man who was healed. And then it goes on later in chapter 3. The scribes accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. And so you're seeing all of these different layers of legalistic people rise up and begin to speak out of the, out, uh, against the freedom that Jesus is offering. So over and over again, you're seeing this it starts with the Pharisees and it goes all the way up to the scribes. The scribes are the religious elite from Jerusalem who've come down to now kind of spy on Jesus, hoping to catch him, say something wrong that would go against their traditions or go against their, their legalistic rules they held everyone under. And so Jesus is confronted by these people and now you're seeing the scribes and the Pharisees, they're still gathered around Jesus. They're waiting to catch Jesus in something that he's doing wrong and that's what we're going to see in the text. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to show the heart of legalism and the danger of it and the reason why we all need the gospel. Read with you, if you will. Mark chapter 7, I'll start in verse 1. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem, that's the religious elite that came down from Jerusalem to see what Jesus said, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And then he says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, he said, why do your disciples not walk according to the, this is a key word, tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? I want you to see the legalism here. The Pharisees, the scribes are gathered around. Jesus' disciples are eating nearby and they're watching, they're waiting for Jesus or one of the disciples to break one of their rules, one of their traditions. And the tradition that is broken is that the disciples were from, coming from the marketplace and they didn't wash their hands. Now, this isn't a, an issue of hygiene. 
It's not an issue even of the old covenant law, the law of Moses. It's actually, and Mark makes it clear, a tradition that is passed down by the elders, the other religious people. It's, it's passed, down, passed down. In other words, they're saying, we've always done it this way. We've always washed our hands this way. If we were coming from the market, if you're a Jew, we're coming from the market and you're now eating, you're supposed to wash your hand, your hands. And keep in mind, these were written, these were not written traditions. These were traditions that had been passed down throughout the years. But they actually have a deeper motive that are actually pretty harsh. The Jews, to wash their hands was to be Something saying, make a declaration of how special they were. And the instance that's used here in the narrative is they came back from the marketplace and they're supposed to wash their hands. The reason why is because the Jews would then interact with other non-Jews. So a Gentile would take something from the market and they would hand it over to a Jew and then a Jew would believe that because a non-Jew would handle something that they would then handle, then they were unclean. Or God forbid, a Samaritan. Samaritan was a half-Jew, it wasn't a full Jew. And so they would say, if a Samaritan ever hands you something, you're supposed to wash your hands because you're then unclean. And so there's something about it within the religious system that was created that was creating a tremendous amount of discrimination and racism. Man, we don't want to be associated with these people. We want to be people who are clean. We don't want the dirty hands of the Gentiles and the dirty hands of Samaritans to be touching our stuff. We're supposed to look clean. This We're supposed to be acceptable. And so these, this is the, the depth of the issue. And, and I want you to know, this wasn't began this way. It wasn't like, hey, let's begin a, a racist tradition that separates us from everyone else. It wasn't that. In fact, they actually chose to do this, to wash their hands in this way, because they were saying, uh, we're clean before God. We're special people. We're elect before God. It was, it was supposed to be vertical, but it was something they made a horizontal in the way that they would judge other people. It, it's a way that they would actually say, we're better than you. It's a way that they would actually feed their egos. And that's exactly, if you're not careful, what legalism can do to you and I. Legalism can often be birthed from a good intention, but it can turn into a law that we use to make ourselves and or others have the appearance of something special before God. So they're asking Jesus, why isn't your disciples following through with this tradition? This is a a man-made system that has worked for centuries why aren't your disciples doing this? And I love the way that Jesus answers the question. He doesn't shut them down. He doesn't get angry with them. He answers by giving them the truth of his word. Look at verse 6. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips. But notice what happens. So on the outside, they honor me with their lips. But he says, But their heart is what? Far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold the written, uh, the hold the tradition of men. So Jesus here is quoting from Isaiah 29, where Isaiah the prophet is confronting 
the Jews for their unbelief and for their lack in sincerity and worship. The Jews at this season where the prophet Isaiah is speaking to them, they are worshiping God with their mouths, but their agenda and their heart was to worship other gods. So it was, it was a fake performance they were putting on before God. And, and he's saying, hey, I, I don't want your fake performance. I, I don't want your, the words of your lips. I want your heart, and your heart is running away from me. And so Jesus is using this story that's happened, or this, this scene that's happening in Isaiah 29. He's saying, hey, Isaiah said this to the Jews, and y'all are doing something pretty similar to that. I don't think Jesus said y'all. I don't think he was Southern, but you guys, wherever he's from, right? <laughs> he's not from the North either, so you get it. You all, there it is. You all, have, your heart is running away from me, even though your lips are saying the right things. And what is the evidence that their heart is doing that? Well, it's because they're not showing love and grace to others. They're only using what they have learned to judge other people and to hide their true selves from God and from others. That's the problem with the Pharisees. Pharisees are really good at saying, okay, here's the rules, but let me hide my true self from God and others. This is why Jesus over and over again would call out the Pharisees and they, they say, okay, this woman has committed adultery, Jesus. They bring a woman who's committed adultery. Or are you going to do something about it? He says, hey, how many of you committed adultery in your own heart? And they're like, oh, he looks at the heart. That's what Jesus is interested in looking at. And so I don't want you to miss how much legalism can cause you to hide. In fact, what I often think is the most legalistic people are hiding the more, the more and more stuff. The more legalistic people I think that I see, the more and more I assume that they're hiding more stuff. Because they're, they're trying to show you something on the outside, but on the inside they don't want you to see. This happened in the Garden of Eden, friends. In fact, the very first sin that's committed by mankind was committed through a legalistic lens. I'll show you. Genesis chapter 2 Jesus gives a clear command to Adam. This is before the Bible. Well, I mean, this is before the Bible was written. It's not like God created man and said, here's the Bible. No, God began to speak to man, and the only commandment that he gave was in Genesis 2, 16, the very first commandment that God gave man. He says, you may not surely eat of every tree of the garden, but, and here's the command, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, he says, you'll surely die. So he's saying, this is the only command that you have for me. Now, what happens in the next chapter, the serpent comes along, Satan, and begins to tempt Adam and Eve. So he shows up to Eve, and he begins to say, um, this, this fruit is not so bad. Did God actually tell you not to eat of it? And she begins to question what God says, and then I want you to see how Eve responds. Notice the legalism and the response. Genesis 3, 2 and 3 says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. That's all true. Is that not what we just read in chapter 2? Yes. But what does she say? Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Is that what God said? No. What does she do? She adds on her own personal touch to what God says. So it's, there's legalism there. This is a rule that I've, that I've thought of or I've come up with, and I'm going to say it as truth, and it's not. That's not the issue. So there's legalism even in the first sin in the garden. But then what happens? 
Will they fall into sin? Mankind rebels, Adam and Eve, both. Eve takes the fruit, eats it, hands some to her husband who's with her, and he takes of it. What happens then? God comes looking for, specifically Adam. And it says that God is walking in the cool of the day, and he's looking for Adam and Eve. And then what happens in Genesis 3, verse 7? The eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. They put together and crafted in their own legalistic way a way to hide from God, to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame. And friends, this is what legalism does to us. Legalism hides the truth of who we really are. We all have fig leaves. And the reality is, fig leaves come in all forms. We create fig leaves so that people will see only what's on the outside, but not what's on the inside. And sometimes fig leaves start by not... Fig leaves aren't necessarily bad things to begin with. But we use them to hide what's really going on. And that's that's what legalism does. And that's what we begin to see unfold in Mark 7. Pick up again in verse 9. Notice what Jesus says to them. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So what's Jesus calling out? He's like, you don't even care about what I'm saying. You're more focused on your own rules that you made up. For Moses said, verse 10, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But if you say, if a man tells his father and mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, he explains the word Corban, he says that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And then Jesus adds, and many such things you do. Jesus uses this simple analogy to say, Moses commands you to honor your father and mother. As adults, you're supposed to respect them and to show them love. He says, and the way that you're thinking is, you would, you would look at the more spiritual side of it and miss the, the clear commandment. Meaning, You're saying, well, God's given me everything, so I'm going to use all my gifts to just serve the Lord. What about your parents you're supposed to love that God's commanded you? Oh, that's fine. I'm doing the Lord's work. They'll understand. So they're missing the obvious thing for something that is something that they've created. People do this all the time. How often do you and I do something that appears spiritual, but is in reality it's avoiding responsibility? It's avoiding something that God clearly teaches us to do. I have an embarrassing story myself. I have a friend of mine who um, became a believer, had a radical conversion, like used to be on drugs, became a believer, and he grew up in the church. And so I remember later on when he became a believer, like shortly after, a few years later, he was asked to come back to his home church and give his testimony, share his story about how he became a believer. He said, Ben, I would love it for you to come with me. It's a revival service. It's my home church. And 
There's a lot of stuff there. I'm not sure it's real gospel-centered, but we're going to go, and maybe it's a good chance for me to get to share with people I know. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, I'll go, I'll go with you, man. It'll be so much fun to hear you share that. So we get there, and there's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a big, uh, it was a pretty uh, good crowd that was there, smaller, smaller church congregation, but a big crowd for the revival. And so we're going to sit you guys down front. So they sit, me and my buddy Dave, down front, and the, the choir begins, because the choir there, because it's the revival service, and they have a speaker there, and all this stuff. And the choir begins, and I'm not kidding you, they had this guy in the choir, and he had the loudest bass voice I have ever heard in my life. Like, his voice was like a th- like it was thunder. Like, I could hear it under the stage and, like, through the room. And so I don't know if you've ever had a situation like this where you've laughed in a place that you should not be laughing, like church or like a graduation, and you just can't control. It's the worst feeling in the world. You try to pinch yourself. You try to talk, think about something sad to make you stop, and you cannot stop. Well, this began to happen. I was like, oh, my gosh, the guy has the loudest voice I've ever heard, and I began to go, oh, God, this is so funny. And my buddy was like, dude, you've got to stop. I'm like, I can't. And then he starts to laugh because he's trying to get me to stop, and then he makes him laugh, and, then we, and it just unfolds and unfolds. Well, I'm laughing, and then the guy you know, and, and the choir's done, and then they all come and they sit down and, into the congregation after they're done, sit with their families. I don't know if this guy didn't have a family, but guess where he sits? <laughs> right next to me. And I'm like, he's sitting next to me, oh no, this is, you know, and so, and then the, the preacher begins to preach, and I kind of ignore it, great, okay, we've, we're done with that part. Certainly, we're going to do an altar call. We're doing the altar call stands up, we're going to sing this Just As I Am or something like that. And we begin to sing, and he's right next to me, and he starts up again. And I could feel the, all the vibrations of his bassy voice you know, begin to build, and I begin to start laughing. I can't control it. Oh, my gosh, he's right next to me doing this. This is terrible. And then, then uh, my buddy's like, dude, you've got to stop, man. This is like the altar call. You're not supposed to do this. And Well, the altar call, people were kind of slowly coming up and things like that, praying at the altar, and then Dave goes, man, something's got to happen. I don't know what we're going to do. He says, why don't we just go up to the altar so that we, and don't, don't judge me, y'all, all right? <laughs> go up to the altar so that people don't see us laughing. And I'm like, oh, okay, so we go down front, and it looked like we were crying. I mean, we're like up there like this, and we're laughing, trying to not laugh. And in the end, we're feeling bad. And, but everyone, everyone there was like, praise God, these two young men... <laughs> Just weeping over their sin wasn't happening at all. What was it we were doing? We were actually doing something that looked really spiritual. We were actually covering up something that was pretty immature, right? Now, friends, we do this all the time in our lives. Think about the dad for a moment who obsesses over his lawn or his car. Man, it looks so good. You know, your lawn looks so amazing. And really, he's doing it just to avoid being around the kids. He's doing it so that people won't say, man, you're a bad father. He's saying, no, I'm a good father. Look, I make the lawn look beautiful. Look how nice the car looks. Or the, or the parents that overwork. They say, we really want to provide for our kids. We want our kids to go to the best school. And we want our, to put food on the table. And so they overwork. They work they volunteer every single hour they can. When really the reality is, it's just more difficult for them to deal and pursue their, their, each other and pursue their children. So they do the noble thing. That looks good. It looks good on the outside. They're a hardworking family. They provided all these things. Reality is, they're trying to escape. They're trying to run. 
So they avoid the responsible thing by doing the thing that's more noble and sometimes more spiritual. I see people do this with ministry all the time. I see a young guy come out of college, whatever, or come out of high school, well, I'm going to do ministry. And part of it is wonderful things, that, wonderful reasons why people go into ministry, but there's a lot of it. Some guys want to do it to escape. Some ladies want to do it to escape. I don't, I don't want to get a real job. Pastors only work one day a week, so I'm going to do that. That makes sense, right? So I'm going to go to seminary, and I'm going to get the easy job, and that's what they think it is. And so no one's going to call them out because you're doing ministry, and you're doing God's work. Everyone says, man, that's great. You're doing ministry. Wonderful. Because it looks spiritual on the outside, but the reality is they're avoiding real responsibility. It ends up happening with those types of people. They go to seminary, they go to school, and they go to get a ministry job, and it burns them out because it's, there's nothing on this side of heaven that's easy. It's all difficult. It's thorns and thistles. But people do it all the time to avoid true responsibility. Every single one of us has something there. What's the spiritual thing that I can do to escape what people really think of me? How much can I volunteer at, the, at church so that people won't get to know who I really am, that people will be pleased with my performance and so that I can show God that I'm acceptable because of my performance and how well I do and how well I sacrifice? Legalism can hide who we really are if we're not careful. And so Jesus is warning them, don't do the thing that appears godly to avoid what's really happening in your heart. Jesus did not come to die for your legalism, for you to continue to walk in legalism. Jesus didn't come to die and say, hey, I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to say it's finished, but I want you to keep performing after I die. You really think that Jesus is going to continue to look at our performance and measure us by our performance that would make us accept? If it was your performance, why did he have to come to die in the first place? You really think he's looking at you saying, well, I know you really didn't pursue your spouse or love your coworker, but man, I'm really glad that you showed up to volunteer at both services today. You really think, he's like, I know you've been harsh to your kids all week, but man, you sang so beautifully this morning. Do you think that God, that performance matters to God? No, what does he want? He wants our heart. And there's a place in the Gospels when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and he's actually riding in on a donkey. They're thinking he's going to ride in on this horse. This is our king. He's coming back to Jerusalem. He's going to restore his kingdom. And when the crowd sees him in Jerusalem, they begin to celebrate. They begin to sing all these songs. They're saying, Hosanna in the highest. They're saying, glory in the highest. And Luke's gospel, when he talks about this scene where Jesus is arriving in Jerusalem, Luke's gospel tells us how Jesus responds to this praise. Luke 19, verse 41, it says, And Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city. And what did he do when he saw the city? It says that he wept over it. He said, even if, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring peace, what would bring you peace, but it now it is hidden from your eyes. He's saying, you're singing these songs to me because you think I'm going to come and restore this kingdom here on earth, but you don't even believe in me. Your, your songs are empty. I don't care about your songs. I want your heart. I want your belief. I want to know that you know that you're loved and adored by me and that you love me as well. But that's not what's happening. They're singing with their lips, but their heart is running from him. That is why Jesus wept. 
And this is the same reason why Jesus, when he looks at the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, he says, you're making void the word of God through your empty actions. Don't just perform. Look at, your, look at the word and love me. Look at the love that I've given you and respond to that love. But that's not what the Pharisees wanted. So Jesus is, takes this situation, this scenario, these questions that the Pharisees are asking, and he gathers the crowd and he begins to teach what it is that he really cares about. Look at verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying to the crowd. He's not saying that everything is okay for you to absorb in your body. Obviously, things like pornography are damaging. Things like cocaine, crystal meth are damaging. We can all agree, right? We're good? Good. Okay, good. I was worried. All right. So these are things that are clearly harmful for you. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying there's nothing that enters a man outside which can defile him. In, this, in light of this context, this is what Jesus is saying. He's talking about, really, ceremonial cleanliness, specifically in re- regard to food. Remember, it began with washing their hands, and he began to talk about how their tradition has led them to, um, to clean certain things and certain foods that you eat. And so he's, he's using the issue of of ceremonial cleanliness. What Jesus is saying here is actually pretty controversial because in the Old Covenant, there was very specific rules about what you're allowed to eat. You're supposed to eat only things that is kosher. And now Jesus is saying, hey, under the New Covenant, everything's going to be kosher. You're allowed to eat. Nothing's going to be able to defile you in a way that, you're, that God is displeased with you. God, God is not going to be concerned about you eating something and it being sin. That, that's the point that Jesus is making here. And so this is a, a wild statement that Jesus is making because it's like he's modifying something that they would have heard their whole life or grew up with. These are the foods that Jews were only allowed to eat and were not allowed to eat these foods. Jesus is, about to say, Jesus is saying, hey, it's about to come through that you're, not going to, you're about to eat all of it. Praise God, Eastern North Carolina barbecue. You're about to eat all of it. That's good news, Jews, right? It's not sin for you to eat that. And so the disciples begin to ask Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? So they bring Jesus aside and they begin to ask him. And I want you to see what Jesus says, verse 17. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since since it enters in his heart but his stomach and is expelled? I'm not going to explain that. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man comes evil thoughts. He says, this is what comes out of all of our hearts because of the fall, because of our sin, evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. He says, all these evil things come from within 
and that's what defiles a person. So I want you to see what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the issue is the heart. There's a similar place where Jesus is confronting the Pharisees on a similar issue. And he says in Matthew 23, verse 25, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you, you're hypocrites. He says, what do you do? You, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, he says, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. And so the problem with the Pharisees is they're only focused on the outside and not the heart. And Jesus is saying, if you want the outside to look good, you have to clean the inside. That's the problem, is the inside. But what happens when we run under legalism, we're only focused on the outside of the cup. Because we don't want people to see the stuff in verses 21 and 20 through 23 that's in our lives. We, want, we don't want people to see the ugliness in our hearts. And so we just try to cover it up with a mask or a fig leaf. And that's not the gospel. But it is why we run to legalism. And I want to tell you this morning that you are not accepted by how well you perform for God. You are accepted because God is who he is. That God is love. You're accepted because God, before the foundation of the world, knew you and chose you. And when you were born, he decided to, God decided to send his son to die for you. That is why you are accepted. That is why you are acceptable. If it had anything to do with your performance, he would not have had to come to die. Jesus came to die in your place for your sins so that you would be accepted before him, so that you would be called his son, so that you would be called his daughter. And so if that's true this morning, why is it that we care so much about the outside of the cup? Because the accuser wants us to believe that we cannot be accepted if God or others see the inside. And the accuser wants us to hide behind the fig leaves that we create to cover ourselves. He wants us to hide behind the man-made rules that we create to put them in place to make ourselves look acceptable before God and for others. And the reality is, God doesn't care about it. He cares about the heart. And part of the gospel is believing, yes, that Jesus, when he died on the cross for us and he rose in the grave and we put our faith in him, we will have eternal life, yes. But part of it is also that he he also purchased for you not just eternal life, but he purchased for you a new heart. So is that what defiles a person? Yes, that is what we're made of. When he, when he lists all the things of all the evil that our hearts are, that is who we are without Christ. But in Christ, who are we? Who are we? Well, Galatians 5, Paul uses a similar thing. He uses the same list that Jesus uses. But what happens when the gospel comes into our life? He says this. I'll read it. Galatians 5, verse 21. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says, against such things there is no 
law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. You see what he's saying? This is what happens when you become a believer. You become a God lover. You become someone who has joy, who has peace, who has patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're not going to master all those things. You're not even going to have one of those things. You're going to have all of those things. You're going to fight the flesh and you're going to walk in the spirit because that's the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's the, the old heart is dead. Now you have a new heart and this is who you are. This is your identity. And then he says, against such things there is no law, meaning you don't keep performing to get these things. This is just who you are in Christ. You don't have to keep focusing on the outside of the shell. This is, the, this is what's in your heart. This is who you are. And so Jesus is reminding them, I care about the heart. And if you want to say, I, I proclaim the gospel, I believe the gospel, I want to be gospel-centered, to be gospel-centered is to also believe what Jesus does in your heart. You have to care about the heart if you want to you understand the gospel. If you don't understand the gospel, if you, if, if you only, only focus on performance, on the outside of the cup, you actually don't get the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel shows us the heart. And this is why the legalistic churches will focus on the outside. Let's teach you how to perform really well so you look really acceptable before God. Let's teach you how to dress. Let's teach you the right words to say and the right music to listen to and the right restaurants to go to or not go to. And here's all the things that we want you to avoid, to be away from those things. And here's the way you're supposed to vote. And here's all, all these different things. They're trying to teach you all the exterior things and not the heart. The gospel chases the heart. And so if the gospel chases the heart, if we're believers in Christ who understand the gospel, that means we too chase the heart. Then as we meet with people, we're not going to talk about how well they perform. We want to make sure they understand God's love for them and God's grace for them and God's mercy for them and how God made them into a new person. And we chase the heart. We help them see, hey, where's your heart longing for Jesus? Where's your heart pressing in to Jesus? Because those, that's what matters to Christ. So that's what should matter to us. And so this morning, my question is how often are you looking at your heart? Not your performance, not the mask that you wear, not the fig leaves that you choose to cover. But how often are you looking at your heart? Where are you, do you see legalism in your life? Everyone has it. I have it. I always say I'm a recovering legalist. So where are you recovering, friend? Or are you only talking about your performance and how you appear on the outside. Let's talk about the inside of the cup. Let's talk about the thing that you're afraid for God or others to see. Let's take that before the Lord and allow him to heal us because that's where grace is found. So my challenge for you this morning is, my, my plea for you this morning is that you would run to the cross and that you would see the acceptance and the grace in our Lord Jesus and that you and I, we would stop performing, stop wearing the mask, stop wearing the fig leaf. Because this isn't exhausting. This isn't exhausting. So let's run to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. God help us.